Father, we thank you for this time to be together. Thank you for giving us the light of your holy word. And uh, we pray for Benjamin and pray that you bless him um, as he uh, recovers from uh, his broken collarbone. I think he was nothing more serious than that. And I pray that they would get it set and get it uh, fixed so the healing process can begin. And I pray you'd bless the, that family as they, they help him with that issue. Father, we thank you for your church in this world, and we pray that it would grow and thrive and prosper, and that it would be faithful to Scripture, and we pray that you'd bless us uh, with a, a good discussion uh, as we read the Holy Word together, and we pray you'd help us understand and grow from it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, we're going to do Second and Third John, and then we're going to go to Galatians, so we might get through both of these little books here, so right after... First John is Second John. <clears throat> Second John. So let's look at verse one here. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Okay. So the, the, the elder um, is generally agreed upon to be, that's John, that's the Apostle John. And there's some speculation about the elect lady, that, that there, there are some who think that might be a church, the elect lady and her children. But I think that's probably not, not the case. Um, it's probably a, a, a woman and um, people that are part of a fellowship that, that she's part of. Okay. So come on in, y'all. Good to see you. Good to see you guys. So we're, we're doing 2nd John. 2nd John. You know, I have a little app on my computer that I've used for like 20 years where you do, you push three keys and a little... Um, dialog box will come up and you have, you can put a reference and it'll paste it right into your Word document from like 15 different translations you can cite. It's very convenient. But if you ever get a verse from 2nd or 3rd John, you have to say 2nd John chapter 1 colon this. Because I've always tried to just put the verse number and it doesn't work. It'll say invalid or whatever. I'm like, you know, it, doesn't, it only has one chapter. Why would you need to put one colon something? So. <laughs> All right, so verse, let's, let's go back verse 1 again. The elder, so that's John the Apostle, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. It's one thing um, the commentators point out. He uses the word truth a lot. Okay, it's truth, truth, truth. It's like five times um, within the, just the first few verses there. And what was kind of the main burden that the Apostle John seems to have had with a lot of his ministry? What doctrine really was a concern of his? Yeah, I'm sorry? What doctrine or what heresy? Yeah, what, what, what heresy? Connected to which doctrine? Gnosticism connected to? Oh, uh, that Christ came in flesh. Exactly. Okay, so that was his big issue was Jesus Christ was a was really here. He had a, a real body. He was not a, a phantom or a ghost. Uh, he was a real human being, flesh and blood human being just like us. And he didn't glow. He didn't have a halo. Um, he would have looked like a normal Palestinian Jewish man because that's what his ethnic background was. So 
Um, so yeah, he wasn't, he didn't have like flowing blonde hair and blue eyes or, you know, he was a Palestinian Jew. So he probably had darker skin and, and looked, looked like a normal Jew. But that's a big concern of his um, in all his letters, including these ones. Okay, so he's addressing this to the elect lady and her children, which is probably uh, a, a woman that he knew that was a believer, the elect lady. Uh, one, one thing I read said that um, that might actually be her name, that that was actually uh, a name of some women. The, the Greek term eklekta, chosen one, elect one. So I thought that's kind of cool. Her, so her name is like li- literally Lady, uh, lady Electra. Which is kind of cool. Um, someone should name their children that. Lady, Lady Electra and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also those who have known the truth because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Okay, so I like that too, the, the importance of the truth that we have and that we know. It's the same truth and it abides with us forever. It never changes. It's, it's always ours. And I, I, I want to encourage you to, to remember the truths that we read about and the passages of scripture that, that bring us comfort and consolation and that we rely upon for our salvation, what they explain to us about the gospel, people trusted in those very same passages 200 years ago and 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, and long after we're all dead and buried and forgotten and nobody cares that we were ever here, people will sit and read the same passages. But to me, that's soul-stirring. If you read some of those early church writers, read Athanasius, you know, when he was defending the deity of Christ, it's, it's, it's wild to think. He's reading the very same passages that have stirred our souls too. And he was reading them 1,700 years ago. Okay, so the truth abides forever. Okay, it doesn't modify, it doesn't change. It's not like we got to update it. Um, it stays the same. It's, it's fixed and unchanging. So that's a real important thing to remember. The truth abides with us forever. Okay, verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Okay, so there you just have kind of the standard greeting. He's making his greeting there. Um, in the name of God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the, who's the Son of the Father <clears throat> in truth and love. Okay, um, verse 4. I rejoiced greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received commandment from the Father. What do you think it means, walking in truth? So they didn't just believe it, but they're, they're walking in it. What do you think that that is referring to? He says he was happy to see some of them were doing this. Yes. They're, they're living their lives in a way that's consistent with professing uh, to know Christ. Okay? And <clears throat> y'all ever heard of the No Lordship Salvation Camp? There's a controversy. It's, it's, it's been around. It's actually addressed in the book of Jude people who turned the grace of God into licentiousness or to lasciviousness. But in the 1970s and then 80s, there was a big, huge controversy that happened because some of these Arminian writers uh, were saying that if you walked an aisle and prayed the prayer, you're going to heaven, even if you deny the faith and die an atheist. And Many good theologians stood up and wrote books. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce. Anyone here ever read Christ's Call to Discipleship by James Boyce? It's a great book. Okay? And the, uh, the Reformation and Lordship Salvation was another book that came out that was a really good response to that. The idea being that if someone is a true believer, their life is going to be transformed. 
it is impossible that someone could truly believe in Jesus and be unchanged. It's just not possible. So if someone says they're a believer, just like James chapter 2 says, if someone says they have faith and have no works, what does that tell you about that faith? It's not real. It's dead. Okay? So the fact that people um, know the truth, believe the truth, and they walk in the truth, that's an essential part of Christian teaching, is that it's impossible for someone to be saved and not be transformed by the power of God. And their lives will be transformed. That's not to say they won't struggle with sin, because they will, just like we all struggle and have that, that battle with sin. But they will have a battle with sin. And they will make some progress, and they will begin to walk in the truth. Okay? So we believe in saving faith and, and the fruits of saving faith, which is that transformed life. Remember, it's a, a passage we all learned. Galatians five twenty two and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is... Mm-hmm. Okay, and what that's saying is, see, unfortunately, in a lot of my background, those were taught to me as imperatives. You better have love, joy, peace, peace. I gotta, I gotta have more love, more joy. Really, what that passage is saying is, if the Holy Spirit's in your life, you will bear these fruits. The fruit of the presence of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, all those things, self-control. Okay, and the verses right before that give us the works of the what. The flesh, okay, which are all the, you know, all the sins that are listed there. So, so if someone is unconverted, they're going to be dominated and ruled by that. If someone has the Holy Spirit because they believe the true gospel, these are the fruits you're going to see in their life. Okay? So <clears throat> that's the thing that we've got to remember. Um, even with the whole uh, side B gay celibate Christianity, all, all the, the attempts to try to make allowances for certain kinds of sin um, again and again and again, we have to point out to people, the Lord Jesus Christ has not lost any of his life-transforming power. He's still able to liberate people from every kind of sin. There are no special sins that have some special status that Jesus just can't liberate people from anymore. That's just not the case. Okay? There's no, no, no sin gets any special status in that way. Okay? So John is saying, I've seen your children walking in the truth. And then verse 5 And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning. You should walk in it. So, biblically, biblically speaking, what, what is it, what does it mean to love? This is love. See verse 6? Yeah. It's a real, real simple definition, isn't it? Uh, uh, that's a, a great definition. You want to have love for God, love for your neighbor, obey God's commandments. What does the first table of the law deal with primarily? Yeah, love for God and the, the other commandments of God, the Ten Commandments, are, are primarily our, our interaction with our neighbor. So that's what love is, is to, to obey those commandments. Okay. Verse um, 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Okay, so to John, you are an antichrist if you deny what? The incarnation incarnation of, of God the Son 
in the flesh. Okay? And that's so important. Why, why is that so important that we understand that the Lord Jesus is exactly like us in terms of his humanity? Why is that so important? Yes, sir. Okay, he lived a perfect life in, in our flesh and as our substitute, right? Second Adam. That's right, he's the last Adam. Okay, he's the second Adam, the last Adam. He's the, the, the covenant head of his elect people that he came into the world representing, the ones chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. He comes into the world uh, representing them, and he's got to be one of them. He's got to be just like us in every way, except what? Sin. Okay, that's the one thing he, he can't have. And of course, the only way that he could come into the world without sin is how? How do we all get here? I'm sorry? Normal concession. Normal concession what the uh, confession calls ordinary generations. How did Jesus come into the world? He can't have a father, a human father, right? That's why people act like, <laughs> I was doing some um, studying on the fundamentalist modernist controversy between Machen and the liberals and Harry Emerson Fosdick and, and these liberals were saying, can't we make allowances for different theories of the virgin birth? And Fosdick, he says, for example, one theory of the virgin birth is that it happened. And another theory is that it didn't. <laughs> can't we allow for different things? I mean, hey, I know this guy. Yeah, he, he believes in, you know, redaction criticism of the Gospels, and he thinks that the Bible evolved over time. But you should worship next to him in church. I mean, this guy, you, when he sings joyful, joyful, we adore thee, I mean, it'll bring tears to your eyes. It's like, yeah, but he's a glowing heretic. He doesn't believe Jesus, you know, was born of a virgin. God, brothers and sisters, that is an essential truth of the Christian faith. And that's what Machen kept pointing out and saying, guys, Without these truths, we don't have a gospel. We don't, we don't have a message for the world then. If this didn't happen in history, then our hope is in vain. How, how do we know that everything's tied up with real events and real history? What does Paul say about that in 1 Corinthians 15? For example, about the resurrection. What does he say? Mm-hmm. And our friends who have died have perished. And we're a bunch of liars. Because what did they go out and tell people? He's alive, and they also told people, we've seen him. And John, the guy that wrote this, also said, not only have we seen him, we hung out with him. We touched him. We handled him. Okay? So that's, these are essential truths, absolutely essential truths. That's why John uses that real strong word. I mean, he's calling people antichrists. I mean, can you imagine someone doing that today? Yeah, we had to get rid of him because he's an antichrist. People would think you're some kind of fundamentalist wacko or something, right? And yet if someone denies the incarnation, someone denies the gospel, that's what they are. Anyone here remember, <clears throat> if you've studied the history of martyrs, who was it? Um, was, was it Thomas Cranmer, the guy that, that signed the confession and then burned his hand to Cranmer? Remember what he said to the Pope before he was tied to a stake and burned? It's one of the most moving speeches ever. Walking to the stake, the Pope was there for this. He, before he's tied to a stake and burned to death, he says, I denounce you as Christ's enemy and antichrist and all your false doctrines. You think people today just don't have that kind of conviction. And remember what he said as he was burning his right hand? 
this unworthy right hand. Because he had signed something. He was scared. And wouldn't you be scared at the prospect of being burned to death while you're conscious? That's why he signed that. He signed documents um, denying the truths of the gospel. And then he got his courage back and decided to stand his ground, and they, they killed him for that. But he called the Pope an antichrist. I denounce you as Christ's enemy and antichrist. So what's that guy's name, that Scottish guy? Uh, Ian, Ian Paisley. Anyone here ever heard of him? Yeah. Ian Paisley. Remember when John Paul II came and addressed the British Parliament? Remember what he did? He stood up and, and gave Cranmer's speech. As soon as John Paul II started talking, Paisley stood up and said, I denounce you as Christ's enemy and antichrist. Just it's word for word. And he, like, the, the guards had to, like, attack him and, like, take him out of the room. But I'm like, I, I like that. The guy had guts. You know, I like that. Okay. <clears throat> he says, um, this is a deceiver and an antichrist. And he says that there are many of them. Do right, you think that there are many deceivers today? Yeah, sure. Look at verse 8. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. What, what does he mean by that, that we don't lose the things we worked for? What does he mean? That we don't lose what? The, the doctrines, the truth, right? That's what they worked for. They preached the truth and got people established in the truth about the incarnation, about how we're justified and saved, and about the Christian life. All the doctrines of the Christian faith. He's saying, watch yourself, guys. Don't let people take these things from you. Make sure you realize how, how precious and how important these truths are. Because if we don't have these, um, we're not believers then. We're not true Christians then. The, the truth is everything. Okay, That's why we, we talk so much about Bible study and theology and, and the things that God has revealed to us. We've got to get this stuff right, and we have to hold fast to it. Okay, So he's saying, look to yourselves that we don't lose the things we worked for but that we may receive a full reward. <clears throat> okay, look at verse um, 9. <clears throat> Excuse me. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Okay, it's a critical passage. What, what does he mean, abide in the doctrine of Christ? What, what, is, what is the doctrine of Christ? I'm sorry? Yes. It, all, all of it. Really, really, the doctrine of Christ, meaning the whole Christian faith. The gospel, the incarnation, all, all of those essential truths that are essential to us being saved. He's saying if people transgress this stuff, meaning they start denying it, and they don't abide in this doctrine, they don't have God. What does it mean not to have God? <laughs> You're not going to heaven. Yeah. You don't, yeah, you're outside of the kingdom of God, is what that's saying, okay? So, remember, Paul says the same thing to, uh, to the Ephesians, when he says, before you came to Christ, you were without hope and without God. Like, God was not with you, God did not indwell you, God was not your father, is really what he's saying. So, if we lose the doctrine of Christ, we lose the incarnation, we lose justification by faith, apart from works, what it means to really trust in him alone, then we don't have God. And he who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Okay, in other words, you, you have God as your Father, you have Christ as your Savior, you're indwelt by the Spirit. Okay, verse 10. <coughs> Here's one. 
If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. How do you think the world around you would look at that? Don't even greet him. Boy, are you boy, are you narrow-minded? Boy, you're intolerant. Remember during the ECT controversy, John Ankerberg in one of the programs said to R.C. Sproul was talking about the justification by faith alone. That's an essential. That is the the core doctrine of the Christian faith. And after he gets done, Ankerberg goes, "But boy, are you narrow-minded?" And Sproul says, "I hope so," (laughs) because there's only one way of salvation, right? We're going to see that as we get into Galatians here, hope maybe even tonight. Um, there's only one gospel that can save you. And so we have to, we got to labor for that. And you have to hold fast to it. And um, I was talking to our seminary guys. We were, we were talking about hermeneutics, the, the science of biblical interpretation. And um, <clears throat> was just sharing with them. I said, guys, you realize we're talking about the gospel and how to preach the law and the gospel and how, how to use that to kind of help you understand how you're made right with God when you're reading the scripture. I said, guys, you realize that in the phrase, we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone, apart from works. Did you got, are you guys aware of the fact that literally, in my own lifetime, in my short lifetime, thousands of pages have been written and published denying and changing the definition of every single word in that phrase? There are thousands of pages of books you could read that try to convince people that Works of law only refers to circumcision and ceremonial works. So we're justified by faith apart from the works of the law. There are entire doctoral dissertations trying to convince people works of law only refers to ceremonies. Why do you think they would do that? So they can include what? That's right. That's right. Justification. There are thousands of pages of books, new perspective writers and all the whole gamut. Justification has nothing to do with sin. It's just about who's in the church. As N.T. Wright says, um, the gospel is not about how you get saved. It has nothing to do with how you get saved. Remember that read, reading that? I think it's in the introduction to his book, The Day the Revolution Began. <laughs> the gospel, he says, the gospel is not an account of how one gets saved. And I was sitting there reading that going, 1 Corinthians 15, 2. Brethren, I remind you of the gospel by which you are saved. <laughs> I thought, it's just flat contradictions to it. But, but y'all need to know that. It's not enough to use the words. You've got to define them biblically or you're going to lose it. That's why this is saying, hold fast to this stuff. Look, look to yourselves that you don't lose the things that we worked for, meaning the apostles and all this preaching and teaching that we did. Make sure that you hold fast to the doctrinal content because that's our life. Understanding that is our life. Okay, and he says, they transgress the doctrine of Christ. They don't have God. Whoever abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Yes, sir. A question on the, the greeting. Is, is there a Greek word, question one, for greeting? And two, how can you love your neighbor without greeting them? And how do you do the Great Commission without greeting people and spreading the good words? Good, great questions. Great questions. I, I'm assuming. I would assume the, the word for greet is just the standard word for for greet. There are some people who are just they are dead set on being the enemies of God and the enemies of the truth. 
Now, the normal rank and file person that you meet in the marketplace or that you meet at work is not going to be one of those. But if someone has devoted their entire existence to denying the deity of Christ or teaching a false gospel, yeah, don't even greet them. And the last question, what if they're your brother, your sister, your mom? You love the Lord Jesus more than them. You're going to have to sever those relationships. Sometimes following Christ is going to cost you your family. It's going to cost you everything. Jesus said, whoever does not hate his father and mother, brother and sister, wife, children... Um, your loyalty is to Christ first, not to your family. And if it's your children, might are good, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Same thing. Same thing. And, um, yeah, God will sometimes test your loyalty like that. Will you be loyal to me? Or will you, uh, under the guise of a pious smokescreen, betray me? So, yeah, you have to, to hold fast to the truth. I'm sorry? Does that mean that we can still pray for them, though? Oh, yeah. It will be the work of conversion and that, that you know, relationship might be mm-hmm. back together and it is a work of the Spirit. Yes, definitely. You never stop praying for people. So even that passage in First John 5 where it says, you know, that we shouldn't pray for those who have sinned the sin unto death. It's pretty hard to know for sure if someone has done that. So I've, when people have asked me, I've always said, just err on the side of continue to pray for them. Just, just keep praying for them. So... Yeah. One, one question with mm-hmm. regard to the receiving in and the greeting. <clears throat> like your opinion on the interpretation that this has to do primarily with receiving as hospitality, meaning putting them up, essentially, which links it with Third John because mm-hmm. that was something that... And greeting is, you know, with regard to a church greeting recognizing this person as a brother, not just saying hi to somebody on the street. <laughs> yeah, right. Did, I, did, do you think that holds any merit? Or? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not saying you shouldn't even, like, um, I think it is primarily having to do with hospitality and showing kind of, like, camaraderie or friendship there. It's not saying pretend they don't exist. But, yeah, I think it's probably that. But, yes, sir. Well, if you're still answering his question, I wasn't going to answer his question. Oh, okay. But I did have a question. Yeah, but but yeah, I think I think that it's not saying you 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 pretend they're not there. Um, Sure, you can nod and say hello to someone, but you don't extend the the right hand of fellowship in that sense, or like put them up because yeah, being hospitable and putting up traveling missionaries and evangelists and stuff in the early church, like Third John does address that. Um, was a big deal. It was a, a big thing that Christians did. I think it is saying you don't give any kind of sanctuary to someone who's devoted their existence to um, denying essentials of the Christian faith. So, but, okay, well, yes? You, get, you guys are all cautious with whom you would join together with, mm-hmm. say, going to the abortion clinic or whatnot. Sure. So you would just, just because they said they're Christian, mm-hmm. you would just hold hands with them in that. Yes. I mean, you would let them know. I mean, they're going to go do their thing, but you're going to let them know we're not part of this. Yeah. Yes, it is. And it, we, we dealt with that when I was in Ohio with, the, with pro-life work there. Initially, I thought we could, we could do stuff together with Roman Catholics, but then the more I heard them talking, the more I could tell they think that we're doing this as fellow Christians. <laughs> and in my mind, we're not. And so we had to distance ourselves from them. 
Because so, pe people will see that as confusion over doctrine, and they'll, they'll think that we're on a common spiritual mission, and that's what you, you can't give that impression at all. So, yes, sir. Um, I was just thinking, uh, probably a good commentary on what this means. I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting this may be wrong, but it's probably Deuteronomy 13 that deals with um, when people try to draw others into a false religion in the Old Testament followers of the things. And it specifically talks about family. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it does. They were, they were actually to be uh, brought forth and, and judged and executed. So I suspect what this is talking about is what, is what you said. These yeah. are people that are bringing a teaching, right. and they're trying to um, draw you away from the gospel. So it's, it's probably some serious false teaching that they're, they're trying to draw people away from the gospel. Right. May I ask you a question? Yes, so if we know people are antichrist, can we burn their cities down and kill everybody there and <laughs> make sure that's never rebuilt? <laughs> Don't answer. That. Okay. Yes, you're right. That's right. Good. Yeah, excommunication takes the place of capital punishment in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, and then. Okay, yes, sir. Um, under the do not receive them into your house for giving a greeting, how do you feel about Job's witness of the Mormons who come knocking at your door? Obviously, when they're coming to talk to you, most Christians want to think they can evangelize them and change them. Some have success, most don't. It's just the act of having them in your house. If you, I mean, to have them come sit in your living room for a few minutes and, and talk to them with the, your, your agenda is to refute their false doctrines and try to share the gospel with them. Um, I wouldn't put that in the same category as um, the kind of greeting or hospitality that he's speaking of here. Because I've done that before. We, we've had, um, we first moved here, we had like five pairs of Jehovah's Witnesses that showed up. I mean, just over and over and over again. And we stood there. Uh, we actually, it was, it was warm enough. I didn't invite a man. We just stood on the front porch and we talked for a while. Um, but, but yeah, I think the kind of greeting and letting them into your house is more Christian hospitality in that sense, like giving them a sanctuary and friendship and that kind of thing. But just having them in, in your living room for a conversation where you're going to engage them and try to evangelize them, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. So... Yes, sir. And not to push the, the issue further, but just to get nitty-gritty with it, what if your spouse is not saved? <laughs> and, and what about every single family Christmas when all the aunts and uncles are there? Are you like, no, nah, this is for Christians only. This is the Christian Christmas. This is a, do, you, do you denounce everybody? When, where do you draw the line on this? Because that's definitely an invitation for a turkey and, and whatnot and, and a chance to witness. Mm -hmm. First Peter 3 addresses that and First Corinthians 7 addresses that. If you can get along peacefully and, you know, the, the uh, saved wife in First Peter 3, she should live as a testimony to her husband. My mother did that for a decade. And, you know, they and hung in there with them and, and loved them. Eventually my father was, was converted. Um, same thing with First Corinthians 7. If the unbeliever, unbelieving spouse is willing to live with 
them. They should try to get along as best as they can, and the, the believer should try to be a witness to them. But, yeah. What about the aunts and uncles and family for Christmas? And what, what's it like having them all? Yeah, what, like, what? like Stephen's birthday, you got everyone in the family. There's, there's going to be half of the Christians and half of the heart, you know? If they can all get along, yeah. We've done that with, you know, my wife's family for almost 30 years. So it is okay to invite family that's not believers. Sure. Oh, yeah. Now, if one of them was a glowing Gnostic heretic trying to proselytize my children or something like that, we'd have a problem. But for the most part, they're not going to be like that, right? Yes. As I was going to say, I think the distinction here, and I was, Romans 16 says, greet one another with a holy kiss. This goes to what Neil was saying. The churches of Christ greet you. And then it says, avoid divisive persons. Mm-hmm. So it's like, we're talking about somebody who's, in a, in a sense, claiming to be a Christian. Right. Right? We're not talking about yeah. your unbelieving family. But now, all of us in the South have this problem because mo- all of our family claim to be Christians mm-hmm. and don't live it. And so mm-hmm. that is difficult to sometimes. But, yeah. I mean, I'm thinking, I thought of this in the other passage where it says, you know, to avoid a person who's always given to, like, wanting to argue about genealogies or wanting to do that. You know, if they're always coming and mm-hmm. all they want to do is argue and try to prove to you why your orthodox fundamentalism is wrong, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not real hard to be like, I don't think we have any fellowship here anymore. Yeah. At the end of the day, the, the covenant head of household has to make that call. So, like Adam, you would make that decision who you're going to associate with or not associate with, and sometimes that's a hard decision that you've got to make. But you're you're the one that's kind of the the doorkeeper for that. So, D- Joseph, were you going to say something? Yeah. Yes. Um, it says uh, anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching. So, is that ta- do you think that like sort of more applies to like almost like missionaries who are traveling around? Because I knew I know at this time like. It would stay in people's houses, and you sort of use that as like their base camp in the city. Mm-hmm. So, are you basically just helping support? Is the idea that don't help them share this false gospel by giving them footwork in your? Y- yes. Yeah. It's not. It's not saying if someone comes to you and doesn't understand or believe what you do, don't do this. It's more so someone who's got the agenda of pushing a, a clear denial of an essential truth. Okay. Like we have we have differences with fellow believers that are. We, we would say there, there are errors around the foundation. This is something you can't get wrong. Like, you've got to get this right. You've got to understand that Jesus was a real human being um, to get the gospel right. So, so if someone comes and they don't have that, and they're pushing a, a denial, a straight-up denial of the reality of the incarnation, then that's, that's an enemy of, of God who is unrepentant and, and wants to lead people astray. So, yeah, good, good discussion. Okay, good. Let's, uh, let's push on. Um, verse 12. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. Okay, so there's Second John. I think I took about as long to cover it as Guy Waters did when I was in seminary. So, yeah. <laughs> so now Third John. Third John is just 13 verses. So here again, you have the greeting. Um, he identifies himself as the elder, and, and almost everybody agrees that's definitely John. To the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Okay. Pardon me. <clears throat> now Gaius is going to be commended here for, for his hospitality, for that very thing. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. Now, I've seen that 
verse misused some, that it's God's will for us always to be healthy. What do you think of that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. It's, yes, that's good. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. Well, what, else, what do you think he's going to say? I pray that you're all sick. Yeah. Okay. Just as your soul prospers. He's praying that you, you prosper and that your soul prospers, that you're healthy. And okay, it's, there's nothing magical about this saying that we all, we all should claim health or something like that. It, it's also real important to being hospitable. Yeah. <laughs> if you yeah. have people coming through your house, it's best to be well. Yeah. <laughs> for their sake and for yours. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, everyone that was so sick last week, like nobody was having anybody over, right? Um, <laughs> verse 3, For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. Okay, so he's, he's excited. He heard a report about Gaius that, you know, this guy um, loves the truth. He, the, the truth is in him, and he's walking in the truth. Okay, so he's, he doesn't just believe it. He is, is walking and living his life um, in accordance with the truth. Okay, verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Okay, that's one thing I've, I've used this passage before to talk about the it's great if, you know, if kids get high ACT scores and they know how to parse Latin verbs and, and they, they are successful in all these ways. That's wonderful. But wouldn't it be cool if you could have a score, like an ACT score, called the walk in truth test? <laughs> like, does the, I mean, okay, let's say that they're like the world champion Latin verb parser and they got a perfect score on their ACT, a perfect score on the SAT, but they lie a lot and they're lazy. Okay, I would love to see a, an integrity score, a, tr- a walking in truth score, um, but that, that's a great verse. I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. So when the apostles got good reports about how the people were doing in the churches they planted, when they heard, yeah, they're, they're loving each other, and they're, they're still getting together, and they, they pray together, they're hospitable to people, they help each other out when people are in trouble, John was just like, that's so great to hear. They're, they're walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than, than to hear that you guys are, are doing so well like that. Okay, verse 5. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. So as Neil was pointing out, this, this being hospitable, um, being willing to house and, and to put up um, Christians that were travelers, um, evangelists that were travelers, taking the gospel to different places, that was a big deal in Christian circles. It was something that was, was very much needed, was that support um, from families to be able to do that. Okay, so he's commending him for that. Um, you guys did this for strangers, and you did it for... Um, um, they, the ones that went forth for his namesake and you didn't take anything from the Gentiles, therefore we ought to receive such that we can be fellow workers for the truth. Okay, then he moves into uh, verse 9 through 12 here and brings up a couple people, uh, one, one good, one bad. He says in verse 9, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, 
does not receive us. Okay, so who is, who is Diotrephes? He's a professing Christian, isn't he? And apparently he's a leader, some kind of a leader in the church. And he, he won't receive John the Apostle. Okay, but it says he loves to have the preeminence among them. What, what kind of person is this? I'm sorry? Self-centered. Self-centered. Prideful. Narcissist. Narcissist. <laughs> yeah. It's all about him. Yeah, it's all about him. I want to have the preeminence. I want to be, you know, the, the one that people look to in, in up front. And I don't share my pulpit with anybody. And I'm the man. And all, all of that. He wants to have the preeminence among them. He doesn't receive us, says John here. And uh, it's remarkable that the apostles of Christ in the New Testament, they were not gun-shy at all about putting people's names in these letters. And, um, I'm sorry? Matthew 18 is not relevant. to the Matthew 18 is one of the most misused passages in the Bible. It drives me crazy. Every time, you know, someone can stand up and announce on the internet uh, the most, the grossest false doctrine, and then you respond to it, did you follow Matthew 18? Like, it has nothing to do with publicly spoken false doctrine. Sorry. What, what is, I'm sorry. <laughs> Matthew 18, okay, just FYI, is about interpersonal sin. So if I sin against you, you should come to me and tell me about it. If you sin against me, I should talk only to you. I don't talk to other people. I go directly to you. Okay, that's what Matthew 18 is about. It's not about false teachers and publicly spoken false doctrine. Okay, so it's very, very, very important. So this is not a Matthew 18 issue. <laughs> Diotrephes. Okay, it's verse 10. It gets, it gets worse. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does. Pratting. What, what does that term mean? It means talking nonsense. Pratting against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to putting them out of the church. Okay, so this guy's a real piece of work. You wonder, how did, how did he get into leadership? How did that happen? He's a plausible fraud. Yeah. He, he sold himself well, right? I guess. That's right. That verse gives me the chills every time I read it. It's 1 Timothy 5.24. He, Paul, the Holy Spirit says about elders, the sins of some are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment. Okay, yeah, yeah. Some guys, okay, they're married and they've got a they've got a love interest on the side. Okay, that's obvious. The sins of some follow later. Remember reading Hendrickson and Kestemacher make, make the comment: there are individuals in the church who will appear for years to be good guys, and you'll find out later that they weren't. And, you know, I hate to bring up his name, but it's all over the internet. Remember Ravi Zacharias? Yeah. I read everything, everything that guy ever wrote. I got, every time he put out another book, I got it. And to find out what was going on, you all heard that story? I, I sat in my study and almost cried when I heard all that. I was like, his book, Atheism, A Shattered Visage, The Real Face of Atheism, was one of the first books I read after I was converted. And I learned so much from it. I was like, man, this guy's like a 
powerhouse <laughs> Christian philosopher, like apologist. He goes to university campuses and, and you find out there was all this stuff going on, you know, the whole time. It's really, it's, it's painful, it's hard. And you think, like I mentioned to you, R.C. Sproul said, yeah, he lost friend after friend after friend after friend because of his commitment to the gospel. And so many people were denying it right and left. And, you know, he just sat, he said he sat in his study and just cried. Like, these guys are my, were some of my closest friends, and they've all turned on me. And I mentioned to you, you know, this past Sunday, Paul said the same thing. Some of his closest friends betrayed him. Remember the, one of the last things he wrote in 2 Timothy? At my first defense, nobody stood with me. In Colossians 4, 14, Demas sends his greetings. And then at the end of, of 2 Timothy 4, Demas has forsaken me. <laughs> Having loved this present world, you think, man, that's hard, that's hard <laughs> stuff. So here, John is saying, you know, this guy um, loves to have the preeminence. He just wants to be kind of the, the, the pope of the whole church, controlling everything. And he says, when I get there, I'm going to call to mind his deeds. I'm, gonna, I'm going to speak against him. And then verse 11, beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Yeah, I like how, how straightforward black and white John is, okay? If you do evil, meaning if you're if evil is what characterizes your actions and the way you are, then you're not of God. You've not seen God. And then he gives another name so to try to end on a positive note. Verse 12, Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. We also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. So I'm thinking probably Demetrius was another elder there. He was another guy there. He's kind of saying you got one that's bad and one that's good, so I guess be thankful for your for the good one. Okay, what what do, what do we also see from this? This is another thing. When you read the New Testament and you read these letters, these churches had a lot of issues, didn't they? They had a lot of problems. There was a lot of a lot of battles, a lot of hard things, you know, that happened and came up. A lot of people were named, and there's a lot of stuff that that went on in these churches. And so it wasn't. You know, people say all the time to me. Um, man, it would be great if we get back to the New Testament church. I'm like, which one would you want to go to? You want to go to, be, go to the Corinthian church? Yeah, so we can all get drunk during communion? I mean, they, they were pretty messy places, and yet the, the apostles loved those places, and the Christian people in, there, in those places loved each other, and they watched out for each other, but they had to deal with all these issues and problems because no matter what church you're in, you've got a lot of sinners there, and you're going to have these kinds of problems in, in your church. Okay, verse 13. I have many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. I love that, that final thing there. So, we should never say, I'm just not very good with names. Right? We're told to greet the friends by name. <laughs> <laughs> Or you could just be honest, walk, walk past someone, you're not important enough to remember. <laughs> I'm kidding, don't be honest. Huh? What, what was that? Wait till you're 62. <laughs> yeah. I ever told you about the guy at my seminary, that guy that, that I went to seminary with that it called me Josh? The whole time I was in seminary. <laughs> And um, I was standing there with, with a guy that I'm friends with that knows my real name. And he walks up, hey, Josh, how's it going? I corrected him over and over and over again. And he just couldn't get it right. I guess I looked like someone named Josh. And he's like, hey, Josh, how's it going? I'm like, I'm doing fine. How, how are you? And we chit-chatted and he walked away. And my friend's like, 
What's up with that? I'm like, he thinks I'm to him. I'm Josh, and it's okay. <laughs> I'm like, just tell me, dude. I'm not important enough for you to remember me. Okay. All right, let's look at the opening verses of Galatians, and then we'll we'll knock off Galatians chapter one. And Galatians, you know, the real important book of Scripture. It's it's unusual in Paul's letters because it's written to a whole group of churches. It's written to a region of churches. His other letters are written either to individuals or individual churches, like the church in Colossae, the church in Corinth, the church in Thessalonica. This one is to the churches of Galatia. Galatia is a whole area of Asia Minor there. So Paul had gotten a report about stuff going on there. And um, Leon Morris, who wrote a really good commentary on uh, Galatians, Leon Morris is a really good, anyone here ever read anything by Leon Morris, his commentaries? He's written some really, he, he's a really good expositor, so I, I definitely recommend if you, if you ever, um, if you're ever going to study a book of the Bible and he wrote a commentary on it, it's always going to be worth, worth getting. Leon Morris is really good. But he dates this book between 48 and 52 AD. He thinks this was the first book, the first time ink hit the parchment after um, the prophet Malachi um, was done writing. Okay, so he thinks this is the very first thing the Holy Spirit said to his church after the Old Testament period was over. He says that that's significant because it's like right out of the gate, the Holy Spirit's saying, I can't believe you're abandoning the gospel already. So look at uh, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Okay, so Paul, an apostle, he says, not from men nor through man. Now, he doesn't do that in all of his letters. Why do you think he's doing that here, based on what you know of this letter? He's going to try to emphasize to them the origin of something that he knows and learned and taught them. Gospel. That's right. What he preached to the churches in Asia Minor, he'd never even met Peter. He'd never met any of the other apostles. What he taught them is what Jesus himself taught them. See, now, when I was in seminary, we went through Galatians real slowly when I took Greek exegesis. It was fascinating to, to go through all this. And I, I asked the professor, Dennis Ireland, he's a real, real sharp guy, because we were talking about, he says, I, was, I did not, the gospel that I preached was not from man nor through man, nor was I taught it, but it came through a revelation of Jesus Christ, it says. And I, I raised my hand and said, I said, Dr. Ireland, is that like a matrix download? <laughs> he was like, what? <laughs> so it was like, so Jesus like implanted it into his brain or something? I mean, or did they sit down and do a Bible study? He's like, I don't know. I don't know. But the, the point is, he didn't learn this from the other apostles. What he taught them it was directly from the Lord Jesus when he met him on the road to Damascus. And somehow there was a transfer of, divine revelation into his mind before he'd ever even met Peter or, or John or anyone else. Isn't that amazing? It really is incredible. I just think, goodness, the, what, the way he's explaining the gospel here is exactly how Jesus himself told him to explain it somehow. So, so I wasn't, he wasn't called to be an apostle by the other apostles, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. You now look at verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, 
to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I actually have here in my, my Bible PR next to uh, verses 3 and 4. Years ago, I went through Thomas and Steele's The Five Points of Calvinism. This is a, a proof text for limited atonement. L- look at it. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he, it really shouldn't say might, he would deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. There's particularity to it there. He gave, the ones he gave himself for will be delivered from this present evil age. Okay, now, verse 6. Now, now notice here, just real, real quick, when you think of like 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians, I mean, he usually, hello to so-and-so, we've heard about your great faith, your faith spoken of throughout the whole world, usually we'll have that kind of front matter in his letters. Here he doesn't. He just launches right into him. Look at verse 6. I marvel. Do some of your translations say, I am astonished? Astonished. I'm sorry? Amazed. Amazed. The term is, it's thalmazo, isn't it? Thalmazo. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, he says. Isn't that amazing? It Apostasy can happen quickly. It can happen really quickly. Okay, he's like, I can't believe how fast. I mean, he's telling you, I'm astonished. I'm, I marvel how fast you guys turned away from the grace of Christ to, to a different gospel. And then he kind of thinks better of it, like I shouldn't even call it a gospel, verse 7, which is not another, as if there's more than one gospel. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. What are some of the other translations? What is like the ESV and the New American Standards? How do they, how do they render pervert? What is it? Distort. Distort. Okay, pervert. Change. Does anyone say, anyone say change? It's, you got the Greek in front of it? It's anastrepso, isn't it? Um, metastrepso. Me- my bad. Should study harder. <laughs> okay, so pervert, change, distort the gospel of Christ. Verse 8. But then he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Okay, what would you guys think if the angel Gabriel appeared in this room right now and told you, you get into heaven by the blood and righteousness of Christ and by being faithful to the Lord and doing good works? (laughs) He said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of the Almighty. Could we quote this verse, Adam? You bet. You bet. The gospel is something that's so clear that we can know what it is so well that when we hear it changed or perverted, distorted, modified, we can identify that as a false gospel. And Paul says, I don't care if I myself come back and tell you. I don't care if an angel comes and tells you or another apostle or anyone else. If they do this, what does let him be accursed mean? Damned, lost, condemned. To hell. Okay, it's pretty strong stuff, isn't it? Let him be anathema, let him be accursed of God. Okay, and then verse 9, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed, or let him be anathema. And in verse 10, for do I now please men or God, or do I seek to please men? 
For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. What does he mean by that? If you preach to people, yeah, you need Jesus. You definitely need, you couldn't go to heaven without him. But the decisive factor will be your faithfulness and your works in your life. Do people tend to like that? Sure. What is the true gospel? What does that tell people? You're helpless. That's right. Really? You can't contribute anything? That's right. Nothing. I remember going to a Philadelphia conference on Reformation theology when, when I was like 23. I had just become Reformed, and I didn't have kids then. And one of the speakers, and it was, a, it was the weirdest thing. It was called the Philadelphia <laughs> Conference on Reformation Theology, and it was in Indianapolis, yeah. Indiana. So we went to the Philadelphia conference in Indianapolis. And this guy stood up there and said, the only contribution to your salvation that you make is the sin that made it necessary. And I'm like, that's good. I'm like, that's good. I like that. Okay, so we don't want to please men. We're, we're not seeking to please men. Paul even says that at the end of the book. If I preach circumcision, if I did preach that our works somehow saved us, then the offense of the cross has ceased. And I would not be persecuted anymore. People would love me. But because he taught, you can't do anything to save yourself, and it's all Christ alone. You have to rest only upon him. That's why people didn't like him. People persecuted him because of that. Okay, any other thoughts, comments, questions? Okay, let's, let's stop there. Let's uh, close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you for um, the clarity of your word. Thank you for second and third John. Wonderful things in there. Uh, so many uh, great statements, phrases, uh, things to remember. Uh, we want that truth to abide with us forever, that Christ came in the flesh, and we want to make sure that if those that we meet have devoted themselves to distorting the Christian faith, that we withstand them, that we stand out against them, and that we um, speak the truth and defend the truth and, and give a defense of the gospel and of its essential doctrines. So help us to do as we have been instructed here, to abide in the doctrine of Christ so that we have God, so that you are with us, so that we are reconciled to you. Help us to uh, remember, doesn't matter if it's an angel, an apostle, a celebrity, uh, someone that we've trusted for years and years and years, all of us are accountable to scripture, all of us are accountable to the one true gospel, that we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone, and we pray that you'd help us to um, live upon that truth and uh, trust and rely only upon the finished work of Christ always for our entrance into heaven. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.